I'm Duncan McLeod. This is TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. You can do that at youtube.com slash techcentral. Or why not subscribe to our daily newsletter as well? You can do that at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now a question. Is it possible to deliver ultra-affordable fiber broadband uncapped into low-income communities in South Africa and to do so profitably? My next guest thinks it is. Steve Briggs. Very good to see you again. Welcome to the studio. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Steve, last time I spoke to you, you were at CECOM. Uh, you're now CEO of Seasware. Um, why the shift? Right. So um, I had a great time at CECOM. I was there for five years. I, I think what CECOM taught me was, um, or gave me a front row seat to the digitization on the continent, particularly the uh, East African and Southern African markets where, where CECOM's cable system operates. Uh, also great exposure to you know, B2B and enterprise, mm-hmm. big uh, digital assets like data centers and so on. So um, I think I've got a healthy appreciation for all the, all the capacity and, and all the content that's streaming onto the continent. Right, right. The reason for the shift yeah. is uh, a personal passion project of mine is to get more people onto the internet. And um, having seen, in a sense, the supply side sorted out at a wholesale level. So mm. lots of subsea cables landing, huge data centers being built, all the streaming services and OTT and everything else arriving, there's still a, a problem in terms of getting it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID highlighted that in South Africa. You know, if you were in the leafy suburbs, life continued you know, relatively um, un- unchanged if you needed to do your work or teach your kids or whatever it was. But outside of that bubble, um, you know, your world came to a hard stop. Mm-hmm. And I think it highlighted the two-tier economy between those who've got equitable access to the internet and, and those who don't. Mm-hmm. And you know, by far the majority in South Africa are people who fall in the, in the those who don't category. The latter category, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's really the, the interest in the project. Right, yeah. so this name is Seasware. We know, I, I know the name Project is Seasware, which was an entity, a non-profit, I think, started by Alan, not Craig Jr. Uh, is this in any way related to Project is Seasware? It, it's related in as much as there's some common people who, who are involved. So Alan is very much involved. He's the chairman of is Seasware, okay. the for-profit. Um, and I think what Project Seasware highlighted was if you can get low-cost internet into communities, there are willing buyers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us, but they validated that. They even pioneered the, the five rand per day uncapped model. What Seasware is, is is to take that and, and go and make it commercially profitable. Okay. The focus viable. has always been on, on Wi-Fi, though, previously. Correct, yeah. So, so yeah. is Project Seasware itself also shifting its focus to no. fiber? Project no. Seasware is very much as it's always been, finding uh, communities often supported by big corporate sponsors mm-hmm. where, um, where there is a need and then building out a Wi-Fi mesh network to those communities. So it really runs along a different set of principles to, to what Seasware is doing okay. through Paygozo and Vulacoin, which I'll Unpacking we'll this, we'll in a get second. to now, but, yeah. but Project Seasware is a non-profit. Correct. Seasware is a for-profit. Very much a for-profit. Okay. Yeah. But and a lot of the same management team as the no, shit. N- not even the same management no. team, just same individuals who are kind of in the, the startup phase of it. Ellen uh, is no longer on the board at Project Seasware. Yeah. Uh, I still am. I, I was a um, director there through the CSI component from CECOM. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but aside from that, there's no no sharing of management teams or anything like okay. that between okay. the two entities. Now, I remember um, before um, Vumatel and, and some of the other fiber upstarts started rolling out fiber around the country, telecommunications operators in South Africa, the big guys, said this is not feasible. Um, I know that, um, I don't know if it was all of the mobile operators, but certainly some of them and telecom said, uh, South Africans live too far apart, we can't roll out fiber, it's not going to make sense, maybe it'll work in Hong Kong or 
Singapore or somewhere like that, but we, we live li- relatively far apart in South Africa. This cannot be made to work. Along comes Vumatel, along comes a bunch of other fiber startups, and they proved them completely wrong. <laughs> um, now, you're saying that um, you know, just 10 years ago, companies like Telcom were saying this is not feasible, but now you're saying not only is it feasible in the uh, leafy suburbs, but you can take fiber to townships, you can take it to low-income areas, and you can still make a business out of it, which is an astonishing uh, statement to make. Uh, I, I, some people might think you're mad, um, you know, going into into low-income townships. Um, do, do you think there really is a business case here for deploying uncapped high-speed internet into every corner of this country? So we're in one giant laboratory test on that on that assumption right now. Okay. Uh, I think people are going to say we're mad. We've seen great results from a pilot project we're running in Kaimandi, which is in Stellenbosch. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't think you can extrapolate this and say it's going to work for every corner of the country, but certainly metro areas where there's a high density, call them metropolitan townships, right. high density, high level of economic activity, um, we do believe there's a, there's a feasible solution there. And, and maybe, you know, just to go back to that, you know, before we rolled out into Diffie Suburbs view, mm. that I, I recall those same debates where, where people said, you know, Hong Kong, high density of, of um, apartments, um, uh, you could amortize your infrastructure over a, a great number of people. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing in townships now. Right. Just in a, in it is a, high density. A, it is high density. Mm. And, and, and you know, just very simply, um, we, we've got, I think, roughly 16 million homes in South Africa. You know, if you have a broad definition of what a home is, uh, from a shack to you know, a, a big house in Westcliff, mm-hmm. um, we've fibered up, I think, about 3.2 million of those. Um, at the you know, last stats, if you look across all the big FNOs. Which is an amazing achievement. Which is amazing. And, and I mean, it's a relatively short time. I mean, I think, you know, call it eight to 10 years, we've created a 50, 60 billion rand a year industry. And, um, and, and some people have done really well from building and starting and, and setting those businesses on. I think on average, we've got about a 25% penetration rate across those, call it 3.2 million homes. But that's kind of where it stops. Mm. And, 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 you know, go beyond that. And your only other choices are, are prepaid mobile data. I know that I know some of the big FNOs are trialing um, fiber township options, and I, I welcome it. I mm-hmm. think this, there's a huge market. If we think 3.2 million served out of 16, you know, there's another roughly 12 and a bit mm. waiting to be done. And how we see it is, is if we could do the next million, there would be metro townships that have not got anything but prepaid mobile data right now. That's right. what we would call the the, the next million. Um, homes and the principle behind there is, is no different to what you know, everyone identified 10 years ago is that this has to be about density mm-hmm. and if you look at the density of 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 people and users in in townships particularly the ones I've described you, you you naturally well we believe that enough five rand a day is spent is going to create a yield model that is as bankable possibly even more bankable than what uh, you would get in Parkhurst, mm-hmm. where Vuma started. Yes, yes. We had uh, uh, Dietloff Maria on the, on the show yes. a couple of weeks ago yeah. where he spoke about this. And yeah. In fact, he mentioned Kaimandi as one of the areas where Vumatel is rolling out. Are they working with you guys or are they running their own project? Yeah, no, th- uh, completely separate projects. Separate but, but project. we, I've in the seen same township? Sa- okay. I, I've seen on the other side of Kaimandi some, okay. some pink poles. So okay. yes, I, I do believe there's a rollout starting there. Okay. But it, I guess it makes sense. It's you know, Remgro's backyard and, right. and therefore they'll also take I a stab there. So. I guess so. Yeah. So tell me a bit about Kaya Mundi. How big is it? Uh, what are you hoping to achieve from this pilot? Sure. So it's, it's, it's quite a unique township. I don't think, again, every township in South Africa will share the attributes. 
it's it's really high density. So I think the total area is 3.2 square kilometers. There are 22,000 homes that we can identify off aerial surveys and so on, of which roughly a quarter are formal. Um, by formal, I'm talking about bricks and mortar, title deeds, and, and so on. Yeah. And the, the rest, therefore, would be informal uh, shacks, some double-story shacks. There's some really creative... Double-story uh, yeah, <laughs> You've got to go and see it to believe it. Yeah. And uh, in total, we, we estimate of the 22,000 houses that yields a population of about 100,000 people. Wow. Um, okay, so it's a big opportunity. It, it's a huge opportunity. Um, relatively affluent because uh, you know, a lot of people don't live in that area. They're simply there to work mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and are well employed. Uh, I, again, I think we'd see a high level of economic activity and income than okay. you'd see in, in a median South African township. Nevertheless, it's a, a great testing ground for, for how we are trying to do this um, uh, internet in, in township model. Right. So do you, yeah. go, do you go to the, uh, the, uh, the quarter of the houses that are formal or you, do you, are you looking at taking in fibre into shacks as well? So, so we do both and we've got a, a model that really caters for both. So in the formal homes, we run an aerial uh, fibre from a pole. So, mm -hmm. so firstly, it's all aerial fibre. We're not trenching down, down your pavements a la leafy suburb style. Yeah. We're doing aerial fibre because it is just a whole lot less expensive to deploy. We'll run an aerial drop to your formal home and in there we'll put a router. Mm -hmm. It's our router, it's a public Wi-Fi SSID, um, and the idea there is even though it's in your house and even though you'll benefit from it and possibly the eight homes that you've built behind you in your formal home mm -hmm. that are typically shacks will get that signal, it's, it's not yours, it's ours. It's, we'll call it, it's the communities. And in a sense, what we're trying to create is a giant hotspot of the whole area, such that there is some mobility. So not when I leave my home, my, you know, my phone can't reach my, my route anymore, and therefore mm. I'm, I'm not in range. Wherever I am, the SSID will pick me up, and I'll so have, the same have mobility us. around the, the community, whether I'm at the spaza shop or at the church or wherever I might be. And that's, that's what we're trying to get right. So like a kind of a mesh type of network. Yeah, so I know mesh has got quite a technical definition. Mm. Um, but in the looser sense of mesh, yes, it's, right. it's I think more like a campus hotspot where you're okay. walking around your so big office campus. The same SSID wherever you are. Correct. So, so what is yeah. the SSID? Uh, uh, Paygozo. Paygozo. Is okay. what it says, which is the name of our um, ISP that we're using in, okay. in Kaimundi. So, so wherever yeah. you go in Kaimundi, yeah. you can connect to Paygozo. Paygozo, that's right. Um, the commercial model on that, I'm, I'm Please. if you're happy for me to tell yes, you. Yes, of course. So, so it's an access or time-based access model which starts at uh, for, you know, a denomination of a day, that's five rand, that gets one device on the network for 24 hours. How much data you consume, you know, what you do with it, you know, where you roam in the area, none of our business, we, we just give you that access. Um, of interest, we launched um, beginning of September, and uh, we, we now have enough data to say that generally people who buy a 24 hour access pass burn about one and a half gigs of data. Wow. So effectively, five rand is equating to one and a half gigs of data. Right. Um, we've seen speeds of 100 megs a second or more. Um, I know it's early days and networks fill up and, and mm -hmm. the, your, your curve drops from that, but that is our ambition is that we keep those speeds at 100 megs a second right. at five rand a day and do what you like with it. The next option is 30 rand for a week or 100 rand for a month. So. It, it, again, we're we, we simply trying to pick up on what fiber operators knew 10 years ago, which is if you get your density right, fiber becomes more feasible. Mm. If you get your input costs right, your unit economics are 
much more attractive than okay. what we've seen so far. That's really the right. the secret sauce, if you want to call it that. Okay, so so you deploy these um, Wi-Fi hotspots. Yes. How do you decide which you, which dwelling gets a hotspot? Every formal home gets a hotspot. Every single one. Yes. Okay. So of the three thousand we've built out to so far, roughly a thousand meet the formal criteria, and they've all got themselves a router ready. The the informal side of the township gets what we call a fiber tower, which is a nine meter high gun pole right. with a giant cambium AP on it and, okay. it, and it beams down into into whatever's below it, giving you almost like a center pivot from a, right. you know, when you fly and you see these big crop circle things. Yes. It's basically one of those in an area and, and we, we try and iron out the dead spots between there. That's so that, that everyone in the community has effectively got, got Wi-Fi. Right. Um, one of the things you'll quickly learn in working in you know, Wi-Fi transmission in, in shacks is that a shack is a giant Faraday cage. Yes. So th there are challenges in getting the signal in. We've got solutions on that, effectively little antennas with boosters that, that can help out. But, but not all shacks are complete Faraday cages. So you are getting some signal and we, we are working on how to make it better for everyone right. here as well. Okay, and so what sort of density yeah. are we looking at in the, in the shackland areas? How, how, many, how many meters between poles? Uh, Roughly 50 meters 50. Uh, between poles. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how many people you're reaching, that is so variable. Because as I say, some yeah. cases you, you've got large spaces yeah. between and others you've got double story shacks you know, yeah. back to back to each other. And are each of these poles linked with fiber? Yes, all the poles, so all the back holes on fiber. Via aerial fiber. Via aerial fiber in, 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 into the access point. So we, we're not meshing in the cl classic sense where we're doing mm. back haulers on, on Wi-Fi as well or on, on radio. We are doing it all on fiber yes. from a back hole side. Amazing. Okay, yeah. and so, and so, so what is what has take up been like so far? So our model required, um, I think, forty percent of the adults to to take it up with yep. one device and spend seventy rand a month. We, we've blown all three of those metrics. We've got more people than we thought because townships are generally denser than you think. Mm -hmm. We've got more devices per person than you thought. We've over the last week helped set up four smart TVs in Kamandi. Now that there's Effectively, uncapped Wi-Fi user behavior changes, mm -hmm. and people are spending more than we anticipated. So, yeah. so far, and again, it's early days. That's why we're doing this proof of concept. We believe we 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 well on the right side of every metric we've set ourselves. Right, the the the, the one point five gigabyte per average consumption yeah. is that above what you were expecting? Um, no, not really. We no, I mean, no we, we provision some pretty yeah. big backhaul. Yeah, um, because this is uncapped. Yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah. if there's a sudden surge, if everyone, yeah. every shack has now got Netflix, sure. Oh, are you? I mean, what happens if there's a massive surge? We we box? just up our our backhaul. So our backhaul partner is Liquid. Right. In this case, um, we've been very supportive uh, of of this project, and mm -hmm. I mean, we buy on commercial terms. We've got a big Liquid manhole, meet me manhole cover in in Kaimandi, yeah. and we'll just turn up more more on the backhaul there okay. if we need it. And this being yeah. South Africa, with crime and theft being rampant, uh, um, what about protecting your infrastructure that you deploy? Sure, a, a great question. We've been at real pains to make sure we've got genuine community involvement. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is we've spent a disproportionate amount of time uh, locating the, the key movers and shakers in mm -hmm. Kaimandi. They're now working with us. Mm -hmm. um, that has uh, spawned out employment for the residents of Kaimandi from um, kind of O&M maintenance all the way through to selling our vouchers. Um, so so the, the, you know, firstly, we've got, call it a, a license from the community to operate there. Secondly, we have a value share model with the community. We, 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 we're not you know, waving our way leave and saying we've got a right to put up a poll and that's it. We are working with the community to deploy, to train, to teach. 
and we believe that once we, we've got it, the network live and we effectively move out of build mode to maintenance mode, the community stands to gain as well from the various kind of streams that flow from there. Right. Again, resetting maintenance and so on. Um, we, we had uh, one interesting incident where a pole disappeared on a Friday night and very early on Saturday. An entire pole? A, a, a gun pole, yeah. Okay. It, it was just you know, lying in the yard getting oh, ready to be built. Uh, okay. And uh, it, it got returned the next day with an apology because Very the community stepped in to say, hang on, not right. cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think our, our surprise from the community has been just how welcoming they've been for, for this project. And when people got over the fact they thought it was a scam, you can't give me internet for five rand a day and mm. not, not have a catch there. When that's you know, being seen, uh, I, th I think there's a real sense, well, this is going to be life-changing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just some more stats. We've now got over 10,000 unique registered users on, on the platform hmm. now, hmm. And, and just for the 3,000 homes we've covered. So we haven't completed And over what period of time are we talking here? Two months. Okay. Yeah, some, well, two and a half months, beginning of September to, to date. Right. So uh, that's a good percentage of the total population. Good percentage. Of we, we, we pleased. As I say yeah. again, we, 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 we've been surprised at how how well this has been received. Yeah, yeah. It must take a lot of time, though, to engage with community leaders and to, and to, to identify who the leaders are in the area and, and get that community buy-in. Is that something you're going to have to do in every township, in every area that you roll out? And is that going to slow down your deployment? I think it's a, an absolute prerequisite for, for success. Okay. And if it slows down deployment, we'd rather work in those areas where there are community structures that are, are stable and welcoming then, then think it's about a, a land grab and put, putting capital in the ground and, and then wondering why those projects fail. Yeah, so yeah. it is time consuming, but it's also mm. absolute prerequisite and I guess to some degree a potential uh, comparative advantage yeah. for what we're trying to do. Yeah, I know a big ch challenge facing fiber operators and all businesses around South Africa, these so-called business forums, these criminal groups that uh, want to extract their pound of flesh from deployments. Uh, have you seen any of that in Kaiamandi? Not in Kaimandi. I mean, we're very aware of what's of, of, of those, as well as the construction mafias that yes. kind of support them and so on. Um, again, if, if we get into an area and, and it becomes apparent that that's how the rules are going to be, or those, that's what the rules are there, we'll rather walk away. You'll walk away? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just not going to be feasible for, mm -hmm. for our model or, or what we're trying to do in those communities. Yeah. So tell us about your partners, your pay, pay Gozo. Um, who are they? They're the ISP, but um, are right. they associated with the Seasway? Very much so. So, mm -hmm. so quick org chart. Sure. There's Seasway. Seasway is the controlling shareholder of both Pay Gozo and VulaCoin. Ah. So Seasway um, is, is is really just. I mean, it shouldn't be a customer facing brand at all. I know it's been spun up in the press a bit, but really the the two go to market brands are. Paygozo that was started by Rich Hen and his team, um, deep fiber deployment experience. If you if you look at who's in there, they are both the ISP and the fiber network operator for now. I mean, in time we we still work out whether you can, you know, be 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 both or be one or the other. But mm -hmm. for now, to prove our our points, they both the FNO and, and the ISP. And then Vulacoin is a effectively a payment wallet. It's okay. got some quite sexy tech behind it. It's got you know, blockchain and things like that, but that's really not what its selling point is. The selling point is it's there to solve for microtransactions that are quite expensive. Just to give you an example, if you were to buy five rand vouchers every time you needed internet on your kind of normal bank rails, let's say you've got mm -hmm. a Capitec card, not picking on Capitec, any bank would be the same. Sure. You're going to pay roughly 250 through the value chain just to have that five rand put in. I mean, that's 50% of face value. That's, that's quite a high 
commission effectively on, on, on that transaction. Yeah. So what Villacoin is there to solve is, is once the value is in the wallet and you can put value in in three ways. Again, you can use a debit or credit card, you can use a voucher like Flash, or we've got resellers in the, in the community who you give them a five rand coin, they will flick five rand into your, your Paygozo account. Right. Um, once the value's in there, every transaction after that carries no transaction costs from our side. We're not clipping the ticket again. So we're trying to solve for micropayments in there. Um, and, and that seems to be working so far. I mean, not that there's any shortage of, of wallets in South Africa, surprisingly, but this is one in particular that seems to have a good application and has, has been well received by the community. So is Vulacoin itself a, c- a cryptocurrency? No. no. It's, well, uh, it's a stable coin if you want to get into coin, to, right. to, 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 okay. to, to the details. So it's pegged to value. It's, it's a one-to-one value to, to the RAND. Um, but, but truly, that's not what we're trying to do is right. spin up a crypto on the side. Okay. It's, it's really just we're using the benefits of blockchain, the openness and the transparency to run a wallet because ultimately the scale economies on that are far less mm-hmm. or far higher than your typical banking structures. Right. That's really why we've chosen that. Fascinating. Yeah. Is, it an, is that a bit of an indictment, do you think, on the financial services industry in South Africa? I, I, I mean, I, th- I think it's fair to say the, the, the financial services, whether the payment associations or the card associations or the banks, would all agree that you know, there's, there's a problem when it comes to micropayments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've got big payments, it's great. There's security. You're taking cash out the system. But if, if you and I want to spend five rand or less on something, that's kind of where the, the payment side in the, in the traditional sense falls a bit short. Right. Okay. Now, you mentioned that the, the cost of aerial fiber versus trenched fiber in the suburbs has tr- tr- traditionally been trenched. Yes. How much cheaper is it? So, happy to disclose our costing. We are in a, um, our cost per house in the traditional bricks and mortar sense, so the, the more formal houses, is two and a half thousand rand. That's aerial fiber, that's the engineering behind there, and that's the router. Um, I, I'm led to believe that in some of the leafy suburbs, it can be much, much higher than that in, in, the, in the double digits even. Yeah. So, so it is a lot less expensive to put mm-hmm. it down in from an aerial perspective. Right, okay, okay. And, and how does it work? Just literally poles with uh, fiber, yeah. fiber rings and, and, and then you just pull it down from there into the homes? That's it, I mean, right. no, no, no secret source there. It's, it's what you'd expect yeah. in, in any other kind of fiber build out, just okay. using poles overhead. Okay. I, I, think, I believe it's called a block build model. Right, Yeah. okay. Okay, and the yeah. type of fiber, I mean, is it, uh, w- what can you do with this fiber? Is it, is there, are there any limitations to it compared to what you'd get, the fiber you'd get in a, in a traditional residential no, it's, home? It's, it's, it's the same standard same stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, there's nothing different about how we, how we deploy or what we deploy from a, from a fiber side. In fact, we actually have, have you know, invested in, in quite expensive kits. Our routers are on Nokia, for example. Right. And you know, we're surprised by how that brand is still well known in the community. I, th- I think Nokia did such a good branding job on their, well, their phones all those years ago. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that there's a sense of, oh wow, you put in a Nokia in my house, that's amazing. So <laughs> kudos to Nokia for their brand. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure, amazing. So what, what's next? What, what's after Kaimundi? Once you've proven the model, what do you yeah. do after that? So, so, so we, again, acknowledge we, we, we're in a giant laboratory experiment at the moment. We, we want to close out the rest of Kaimundi by the end of Q1 next year. So at the end of March 23. We would then want to deploy to two other adjacent townships, uh, Mfileni and Nomzamo, mm-hmm. Somerset West and Gordons Bay, um, which ca- is almost contiguous with Kaimundi if you just think of the geography of, the, sure. of that part of the Western Cape. Uh, that in total would take us to 110,000 homes um, in, those, in those three townships. Um, what we want to use next year for is to, um, I guess, proof test our idea that this can be done at scale with you know, smart civil engineers who've got 
real kind of spatial planning analysis and the ability to to build out big civil projects. Um, so I think I think we're quite used to big civil projects being electricity or power or sewerage, but that kind of thinking is seemingly a bit short on the telco side. We're trying to translate that kind of big scale capital deployment into a telco telco type model. And once we've done that and we've you know hopefully still meet all our all our key metrics at the end of next year, we, we believe we've got a potential business here which we mm-hmm. would then look to look to other parts of, of Metro South Africa to, to go and yes. duplicate. And and possibly even beyond. I mean uh, you know it's not unique in South Africa that there's a big problem to get equitable internet access to mm-hmm. poorer communities. Now you may soon be competing with uh, the likes of Vumatel, which is backed by giants like soon to be Vodacom, Remgro. Sure. Um, this is a scale game. Uh, w- what's your funding behind? Well, funding model behind this? Sure. You're going to need some quite deep pockets, I imagine, if yeah. you want to take on the big guys. Quite right. Mm. So, so I mean, building telco infrastructure is eye-wateringly expensive. Uh, it's it's one giant, you know, capex yes. uh, uh, grinder, if you want to call it that. The good news is that the the kind of postpaid fiber um, network success over the last eight to ten years has has certainly caught the attention of the big banks and, and big investors. So we've been pleasantly surprised at, at how much um, capital there seems to be if mm-hmm. you can prove a model, um, from big project finance with South African banks on big commercial terms to um, DFIs and, and you know, foreign funding institutions. They, they, if, if you can show a decent business case, there's no shortage of capital. Right. And, and that's what we're trying to do. So by taking our time to spin this up and make sure we've got the model right, we, we do believe that the capital will follow from there. Okay, yeah. okay. Have you had conversations at this stage with any of the banks or we have. funders? Yeah, we and have. they showing interest? Uh, deep interest. Deep interest. We, okay. we, we really are you know, quite far down the, the road on, on some of those conversations already. Yeah. What about load shedding? How does that impact you? So it, it certainly has a huge impact. In fact, you can see our usage stats climbing nicely during the day and then you just see an absolute kind of chasm mm-hmm. for two hours. The interesting thing is the floor at the bottom of that chasm is getting slightly higher each time. Okay. And what that says is that people are putting um, devices in their homes for backup. So our Nokia CPE we use, if you plug a normal cell phone backup power bank in there, the thing can carry on. Okay. Um, so, so people have worked that out. Interestingly, you know, on, the, on the kind of less formal side, the big Wi-Fi access points I was talking about earlier, we actually can keep those up during load shedding. We've, we've got... Uh, really interesting bit of technology that uh, allows us to, from our kind of central node in Kaimundi, power those so that during load shedding, you've, you actually still have access to the internet. We keep the internet up and we keep the signal beaming down. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a bit of kind of uh, social justice there when in the you know, suburbs that you can see in Stellenbosch that, that pay a lot more for the internet, they're hard down and, and our community is still up even, yes. even during load shedding. But to the yep. point of your question, load shedding has a massive impact. On, on how people consume the internet. Is it much easier to keep a fiber network up during load shedding than it is a, a, a cellular base station? Because yeah. I notice in my yeah. area, my fiber yeah. connection stays up throughout yeah. load shedding when there's a park. In fact, if the power goes off for a day, it's the fiber stays up, Yeah. but the local cell phone tower falls over. Yeah, L- look, I mean, probably a bit beyond my ability to, to give you a good technical answer, but anecdotally, I, I, I've seen the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think some of the networks, the mobile networks are are now on record saying they've had all their batteries stolen mm-hmm. and their generators and their diesel. Yeah. So from now on, if, if the lights are out, the, the tower's down mm-hmm. and, and don't ask any more questions. <laughs> Whereas the, <laughs> the fiber networks do seem to have, have a way of, of keeping it up. And yeah. certainly in the network we've built in Kaimundi, mm-hmm. uh, we, we've built in from the start a battery backup knowing right. how Im- impactful load shedding can be in that mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. 
So before I let you go, Steve, this, this really is uh, quite an exciting uh, development. Um, is, is South Africa pioneering this? I know, I know that um, uh, South Africa was a pioneer in prepaid cellular, and that's actually what led to the explosion of cellular use across the country and then ultimately around the world. Are we in, in South Africa actually starting to pioneer this concept of cheap prepaid fiber? And if it works here, do you think this is going to become the model across the developing world? So uh, there definitely are examples in other parts of the world. I, I think of Kenya, I think of a company called POA and Mawingu separately. Okay. They've, they've got similar ideas. But I do think we're onto something here. Um, and if I just look at the interest shown by, call it the international vendor and finance community for this particular project, um, there does seem to be some sense of, of us plowing a new furrow, if I mm. can call it that. Yeah. And um, yeah, hopefully we can execute on our lofty ambitions and, and we can export this model. That yeah. would be our intention. Okay. Steve Briggs is CEO of ICISWE. Good luck to you and your team. Fascinating project. And uh, thanks for joining us in the studio at Tech Central. Thank you very much, Duncan. Thanks, Steve.